0: I hadn't seen this video before. I didn't know when it was gonna end. It's not, not that it was too long. Whoever made it, like, it's awesome. But it was, it was good, I just wasn't quite sure. Hey guys, my name's Brett. I'm a volunteer here uh, at New Life Manitou. Um, whether or not we know it, whether or not we're like aware of it when we come into this place, uh, we're hungry and thirsty for something that, um, confession, I'm totally incapable of giving you. I'm totally incapable of giving you. Um, we're, we're hungry and thirsty for God to speak. Like, we've all been to church. Sir. Most of us have been to church services before. Um, I've been there, done that. And most of us think it's old hat. Um, but right now, I just want us to pray um, that the Spirit would speak um, through His Word um, because that's truly what we're hungry and thirsty for. And so, Lord... As best we know how, and I don't know what I'm asking for, I confess, we ask that you would speak this morning. We, with the meager faith that we have, um, we come this morning and we um, anticipate you speaking. And so, we say, come, Spirit, make us alive. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, one of the nice things about New Life is, uh, as, a, as, a, as a community of congregations, is that we go through books of the Bible. We take scripture, like, super-duper seriously. And so, we're starting a new series this morning. Congratulations, you're here. It's the perfect time to be here. So, um, it's a It's a series through Colossians, uh, this letter in what we call the New Testament. And so uh, I'm just going to read the first 14 verses, and then we'll make some comments on it, and then we'll come to the table. Sound like a plan? Yeah, yeah, sounds like a plan. Yes! For the rest of you, it is a plan. It doesn't matter what you think. (laughs) Colossians, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It'll also be up here on the screen. From Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've done this since we heard of, of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love. For all God's people, you have this faith and love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You previously heard about this hope through the true message, the good news which has come to you. This message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace in the same way that it's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. You learned it from Epaphras, who is the fellow slave we love and Christ's faithful minister for your sake. He informed us of your love in the Spirit. Because of this, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God by being strengthened through his glory might so that you uh, so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father, He made it so that you could take part in the inheritance in light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He set us free through the Son. And forgave our sins. Hmm, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you actually stop and consider, for just a moment, um, the like the various like documents and uh, what the Bible is actually made of, it's a it's actually like a little bit surprising. It's a little bit odd what we're doing here. We're we're um we'll name it. We're reading someone else's mail is what we're doing this morning. Um, that's curious, isn't it? It's a little odd. I mean, imagine for just a second um, that we gathered together like on a Sunday morning like this, and we sang some songs, and we, and we made some announcements, and then we pulled out like some old dusty letter or something, or, or like we loaded up an email that we had hacked you know, from somebody else's email account. Um, It's not written, it's written by not one of us, addressed not to one of us, and then we all listened to this email read and um, listened to somebody talk about it for a few minutes. (laughs) Right, it's it's a little strange, isn't it? Uh, Most of the time, um, most of the time, if we did that, most of us would be bored, uh, first of all. Um, perhaps we are now. Um, but most of us would be uh, bored if we did that. If you were j- most of the time, when we're reading someone else's mail, if we read an email, random email, the only way that we would be interested in that email is if it somehow involved us. That would be the only way. Like, say you had, like, somehow I had gotten access to, hey, that I know that guy that he's reading the email from randomly up there at the stage. That's my landlord. That's my, I know that guy. And he's writing this email to, like, his mom. And, like, you wouldn't really be interested in any parts of this email that I'm reading, you know, where he's talking about his relationship woes and uh, she just broke up with him and his gluten intolerance. You don't really care about any of that. But then when he starts mentioning his money problems his money problems, and things are super tight, and then he's probably going to need to raise the rent. Suddenly, you get like a little bit more interested. Wait, wait a second! This like involves me. Like this is a random thing that like was just being read, but like all of a sudden, this concerns me. Most of the time, the moments when um, other people's conversations or letters or emails or writing gets interesting is when it somehow involves us. The National Treasure movies come to mind. You know what I mean? The National Treasure movies come to mind. You know, Nicolas Cage like running around. He's like. Opening treasure vaults and that sort of stuff. In those movies, the only reason any of the characters are interested in dusty old letters and documents and such is because it somehow involves them. It involves them because there's treasure to be found. That sounded like a pirate, didn't it? <laughs> there's no pirates in national treasure. You're gonna be you're gonna be really disappointed if you watch those movies looking for. That... Well, I guess I'm getting to to this claim that we could throw up here on the the screen. The Christian claim is that the Bible reliably addresses all important realities that involve us. That's the reason we gather together and do something kind of strange in reading somebody else's mail is because the Bible reliably addresses all important realities that involve us us. that like Because Paul, the guy who's written this letter, verse 1, Paul and the earliest Christians had experienced something. That is beyond question. They'd experienced something. Everyone, every scholar out there will tell you. They'd experienced something. To wit, they say what Paul and the earliest Christians claim they had experienced is that they had seen someone conquer death. <laughs> is what they said they had experienced. If that is true, does that concern us? Yes, I'm seeing some gentle nods. It, it deserves more than just gentle nods. If they had seen somebody who had conquered death, that involves all of us. That's like the best news ever. Am I right? Can I get an amen somewhere? Somebody had conquered death. Yeah, whoever's courageous enough to clap the resurrection. Yes, You are two points to you. Gold star. We're eavesdropping on people in this letter. As we begin this series in Colossians, reading ancient mail, we're eavesdropping on people who were absolutely convinced that they had found the meaning of life They found the meaning of life. This is mail written by Paul and Timothy, verse 1, to a group of people, verse 2, in the city of Colossae. It's in the southwest general area of modern nation of Turkey, if you're curious where this, this mail is going to. They're, they're writing to people that they call, verse two, they call these people holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a conversation between family is what's happening right here. Uh, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, Mysterious, isn't it? Despite the impression that you might have gotten at some point, Christ is not uh, Jesus's last name. Um, you know, Mary and Joseph Christ had Jesus. No, it's Christ is a title. Christ Jesus is a bit like saying Governor Hickenlooper or President Trump or Caesar Nero, it's a title indicating something about Jesus. It, he's the Christ, the Christos in Greek. If you wanted to say it in Hebrew, you would say the Mashiach. The, I don't speak Hebrew, I just cleared my throat a little um, it's, uh, if you wanted to say it in Hebrew, it's Mashiach. It's, it's, uh, it's Messiah. It, it literally just means anointed one, the anoint, as in anointed king. Paul is writing to people like a, a new family is being formed, brothers and sisters in the king, under the reign of the king, participating in the king, in Christ. In the ancient uh, Greco-Roman world, a world conquered and ruled by um, Caesar and his armies, you had these countercultural little families, communities springing up all around, and they are devoted to a different king than the guy in Rome than Caesar in Rome, a king, once again, that they believe had vanquished death, conquered death. But it's really interesting, as we keep reading, we realize that Paul has never met any of these people that he claims are brothers and sisters. I've never met any one of you, and yet I'm bound up with you. He's never met one of them. The, the only Colossian that Paul has actually met is a guy, both of you were coming at the same time, and I was like, they're coming to get me. Uh, <laughs> the only Colossian that um, Paul has actually met is a guy named Paphras. Did you hear him mentioned as we read through it? it, it he shows up in verse 7, um, and it, there, at the end of the letter, it's a short letter, but um, at the end of, a, at, of the letter, he actually shows up again in chapter two. Uh, 4, verse 12, uh, he says, oh, by the way, Epaphras is here, just in case you forgot, he says, hi. Um, Here at the beginning of the letter, Paul says, verse 7, that he's heard about them from Epaphras. He's heard about their, verse uh, 4, he's heard about their faith, or faithfulness is another way of saying that. And how does he feel about what he's heard about all the Colossians? Does this is participation? Um, I know, nervous. Does he feel sad about it, or is he happy about it? Ha- yes, he's. Ha- yes, he's happy. He is happy about these brothers and sisters that he has never met. He's encouraged because something, something's happening among them. Something is at work among them. Our two-and-a-half-year-old uh, daughter, Daphne, that you may have seen running around, she's gotten into the strange habit, uh, verbal habit. of I don't know why she says it. Um, as soon as I say it, you guys are gonna be like, I know why she says it. But like, no, um, she's gotten into this strange verbal habit of saying, I smell something. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, great. Like, I don't know why she, yes, I don't know why she's, I smell something, and we're like, what do you smell? I think it's from Frozen, that line where the two sisters look at each other and go, chocolate, I think is what she's, uh, is where it came from, Um, but I, right, sure, whatever, Um, Paul has never met any of these people, and yet he, like, he hears reports of them, and he kind of f- sniffs the air that's come with Epaphras from Colossae, and he's like, there is something. There is something at work. Among these people. I've heard about all of you from Epaphras. There is something causing changes among you. Something, verse six is what he says. Something bearing fruit and growing among you. In in the verse six, still in the same way that it's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world is what he says. We have to, the Common English Bible is what we read from this this morning. It has to repeat the phrasing in English to get the effect that the Greek has because the Greek is like wound tight like a clock right here. In the whole world, ponte toi Cosmoi, literally in all the cosmos, it's bearing fruit and growing even as in you. It's like it's like really tight in all the cosmos, bearing fruit, growing, even as in you. There's something beautiful at work in all the world, all the cosmos, in all the universe, growing, spreading, mushrooming, and its spores have gotten into you. The spores of this beautiful thing have gotten into you. When I was growing up in Georgia, uh, I grew up in Georgia, by the way, when I was growing up in Georgia, I remember, somebody laughed. Um, it was funny. Um, I remember years ago, there was like this sickness that was killing trees. I'm sure you guys have this in Colorado as, as well. Um, it's scary when it starts happening. You like walk through a forest and you can tell like there's something out there killing the crab apples. Or it might have been the pines or the cedars or something. I don't know what it was killing. And you're just grateful when you see it out there that it, like that tree sickness, that it can't make the leap, that it can't spread into you. Because that would be like, or or spread into like the grass or the shrubs or the bushes or, you know, something like that. Because if it could, if it could make that leap, oh man, that would be like super scary. Maybe that's something like what Paul's talking about except it's like this beautiful infection that's like spreading through the cosmos. It's like a a sickness unto life. Something like a life-giving virus is at work in all of the cosmos, and now it's gotten into you. You have inhaled the spores. It has hit your bloodstream. It's spreading through your system. Something has infected you. I know because you've got the symptoms. I've heard, he says, I've heard about the fruit growing among you, growing within you. That's near to the heart, I think, of what Paul's saying as he like opens the letter, this letter to the Colossians. So very briefly this morning, like two questions. What's the fruit? and why is it growing? What's the fruit and why is it growing? And those two questions will lead us to like one more big question to ourselves and then that'll bring us to the table. If we wanted to answer that first question, what's the fruit that's growing? I don't think we'd be far off base here to say it in one word, love. Love's growing, love's growing. Epaphras, verse eight, has informed Paul. What Paul's heard about, what he's sniffing on Epaphras is love. I've heard of your your love in the spirit, is what it says. Paul has heard of their faith, their trust in, their loyalty to King Jesus, verse 4, and the incredible love they have. Love's at work in them. Love is what is growing in them. Paul says in verse 10, he says... Um, That he's praying that this fruit will keep growing and they'll keep producing fruit in every good work. And good work is really just a way of saying love in action, right? That's all it is. Love. Love. Not necessarily like always like feeling good about someone, but love in the sense of desiring the good of that person seeking the good of others, sacrificing for the good of others. That is the beautiful symptom that Paul's hearing about in this community. That's the fruit that has taken his breath away. Tell me more, Epaphras. Tell me more about this church. And let's be honest, that's the fruit that still takes all of our breath away, our collective breath like, that's why we share things on social media a lot of times. The, um, that's why, like, we get our breath taken away when we see, like, a dog jumping into a river to, like, go save somebody. Like, oh, look at that. There's, like, love somehow, like, at work here. This is something beautiful. Sacrifice, desire, seeking the good. When a firefighter or a first responder goes running into a building to save strangers, we're like, oh there's something true right there. There's something beautiful right there. When a TV show shows a community of people banding together to gift a brand new house to a struggling family, like all of a sudden our collective breath goes, oh yeah. Yes, love, love. There's something true right there. Or even in a movie, like even the movies that we love, the moments of movies when we love, when like someone heroically sacrifices themselves for someone else, whether it's scrawny Captain America, like at the beginning of the movie, throwing himself on that grenade that turns out not to be a live grenade, or beefy Captain America at the end of the movie, like actually piloting the, the plane down into the sea, saving New York, you guys are looking at they're Marvel movies, by the way, if you, if, if you didn't know, they're a thing. Um, the thing that takes our breath away still is this fruit. This fruit, like love, sacrifice, giving. It still takes our collective breath away. We taste that fruit wherever we see it growing. And we say, "That's the real thing. That's what life is about. We love stories about love. love stories about love. And that leads us to our second question. Why in the world is this fruit growing? Okay, love's the fruit, but why is it growing in this community? Because it's one thing to, like, hear about it, to catch glimpses of it in other people's lives, uh, you know, to hear Stories of it, social media posts, movies talking about it. Um, But it's a whole nother thing for sacrificial love. Parents, spouses, anyone who's in a relationship with anyone else. It's a whole nother thing for sacrificial love to start like defining us like actually start growing in our lives we 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 like to hear about it but what why is it growing how in the world is it actually growing and it's like best we can tell from this letter it's actually starting to define not just one person but like an entire group of people like what what that's what's happening in Colossae love is the fruit why is it growing and the answer Paul gives is love grows through a message is what he says. He says, verse five, that they have loyal trust in faith in Jesus and the fruit of love because, this is the middle of verse five, because they've heard about their hope. They've heard about hope, through, this is the end of verse five, through a message, the true message is what Paul calls it. This message, this announcement, this, this story, he says, verse 6, has come to you. It's come to you. And that it's bearing fruit and growing in them, as indeed it is in all the cosmos, in all the world, in all the universe. It's come to you. This ancient letter is making the most stunning of claims in a similar way that we might walk through like a forest uh, that's got like a tree sickness, and we might say, oh my gosh, this forest is like a fundamentally different place now. Paul is making the claim that there is something going on that has made the universe a fundamentally different place. Hope is spreading. Love is winning. Goodness is mushrooming, and it's all because of a real person named Jesus, named Jesus. The Christian claim, of course, is that Jesus, the real historical, like flesh and blood Jesus, is God as one of us. That's the claim, is that God entered the story, the, the, the ultimate mystery made manifest. The invisible become visible. Our maker as a man is what's being claimed. And here's the Christian claim. Here's the Christian story. Here's the gospel, if you're curious about it. By becoming human, God begins restoring humanity to what we were always meant to be. By becoming human, God begins restoring humanity to what we were always meant to to be. In all of the ways that we are rebellious and broken and skewed and sinful, they all get taken up somehow, mysteriously, into God, into the God-man, Jesus. And then he gives us life. He gives us his beautiful, powerful, indestructible life. And that begins to define our lives. That's the gospel. By becoming human, God begins restoring humanity. That is the Christian claim that we're going to see unfolding in this letter, that the universe is a fundamentally different place with the arrival of Jesus. It's a universe where life and love are more fundamental than the than the laws of nature. <laughs> like that, that's the story. It's really good news. That's the announcement. It's transforming this community in Colossae. That's the fruit, and that's how it's growing because they have they have hope that they've begun to believe through a story. It's growing, verse six, ever since they heard and truly understood. And now this ancient male raises one more question, a big question. It's a question aimed um, at our deepest places this morning. Um, it's a question without, like a really quick answer. Um, it's this question: What's the story you've come to believe about the universe? What's well, the story you've come to believe about the universe? We've heard a bit about like, the story that Paul and the earliest Christians had begun to believe, but what do you believe about the universe? I know that's a giant question, but it's worth reflecting on for just like a couple of minutes on a Sunday morning here at the end of August. Because you do believe something. You do believe something about the universe, about this universe we live in, about this life that we are all like plunged into. What is it? What's the story that you believe about this? I mean, I get that most of us go through like our 40 hours getting like laundry done and getting bills paid and we're just like trying to survive. Like, but imagine just with me, let's all just pause really quickly this morning and pretend like all of those things are taken care of for a second. Like all of those things, just for a minute, all of those things are taken care of. What is this? What's the meaning of it all? What's the story that we're all living in? Is this story some version of Jack and the Beanstalk? How far can I climb? How high can I get? And ultimately, the story is like something about like your personal ambition and the heights you can reach and the treasure you can find. And then what? And then what? Is this this life that we're living, like, is it some sort of consumeristic version of Goldilocks? Is that what we're Goldilocks and the Three Bears? You know, I'm gonna just sample everything out there. I'm gonna sample, this Starbucks is too hot, this mattress is too soft, oh I want the next thing. And ultimately the story is about everything that we can try, everything we can taste, all the experiences and media and travel that we can consume, and then what? What's the the story we're living in? Is this all just like a cosmic accident? That seems to be like the unspoken assumption behind like popular culture out there, behind a lot of popular thinking, that the universe is just like this cold, empty place with, with any life on any planet, just simply the random result of like winning that infinite slot machine of existence, and, and good luck finding a story, you know, good luck finding a story in the decades of existence that you hopefully will have. Maybe you can hitch your wagon, you know, to something that seems important to you at the moment, your country, you know, making America great again or something, or to social justice, let's get economic justice to everybody on the planet, which seems really important and good, or advancing education, that's a really good thing too, or devotion to your family, those are really good things, but it's all an accident at the bottom of it. That's the prevailing, like, Thought in our culture out there, I, I'm, a, I'm afraid. Am, am I right? I mean, right? That's the way it feels a lot. Maybe um, maybe we should say it's a, a prevailing, um, it's not the prevailing story that our culture tells. It's really kind of the prevailing description of the universe because it's not really a story, is it? It's not really a story because what it's actually saying is saying that a bunch of stuff accidentally, meaning like, bunch of stuff, like everything accidentally, meaninglessly happened. And eventually, in billions of years, heat death will consume all things. And in between the accidental beginning and the meaningless ending, we find pumpkin spice lattes and Disneyland. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like good luck and joy, but there's no storyline in that. There's no plot Science alone, science is really good. It can give us, like, incredible descriptions of the universe. But science can't give us a story of the universe. A story, by definition, has to do with meaning. It has to do with plot. Science is really good at telling us how. And I'm not somebody who, like denounces science. Science is brilliant. Science is really good at telling us how, but it's completely incapable of telling us why. Why? Science is good at helping the human race, but incapable of telling us why helping the human race is a good thing. Without naming the story specifically, maybe I could just ask you this morning, um, what kind of story do we live in? You don't have to like give it a, a metaphor like Goldilocks or Jack and the Beanstalk, but like, just, just what's the color of the story that we're living in? At the most basic level, what do you believe? Do you believe that we live in a tragedy or in a comedy? Do you believe it is a story where death and tragedy ultimately win the day? or a story where grace and love and laughter ultimately win the day? I ask these questions this morning just because most of us um, aren't really cognizant of what we believe about the universe. Um, we don't give much thought to like what we believe about it, but what we believe about the universe changes our lives. What we believe about the universe's story changes our story. Um, We could say it this way. The story we believe bears fruit. The story we believe bears fruit. It's not just the story of the gospel that bears fruit. Every story we believe bears fruit in history. In, in, in the middle of the 20th century when, German, when extreme German nationalists began believing their story of the greatness of their nation and, the, and ultimately the human race, that it all depended on racial and genetic purity and how can we get this thing straight. That story bore fruit. Terrible, terrible fruit. It's an easy example. Likewise... In the middle of the first century, when a group of people began confessing their allegiance to a different king, following the example of that king by loving to the point of death, that story bore fruit the church began welcoming every class of person into its family. The church began taking in infants and children that were throwaways in the ancient world. In its early centuries, the church refused to participate in any system of violence, being persecuted and fed to the lions and lit on fire, and all the time announcing love, 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 God in Jesus loves you, and it kept bearing fruit for 20 centuries. Hospitals and orphanages were established and supported. Ancient learning was preserved in the, in the medieval world when the Roman Empire collapsed. The university was invented. Oh, please help us. The university, someone who's like in finals, this isn't a good sermon, but the university is a good thing. Learning was education and literacy were made a Priority by by the church by the church it shaped history intrinsic get this intrinsic human dignity intrinsic human dignity regardless of your social status people have worth got ingrained into the human psyche but it wasn't common knowledge back in the ancient world. Like intrinsic human dignity was foreign in the ancient world. In the the Greco-Roman world, victims of violence didn't have value or worth. They were just like corpses littering the road. They're just like in the way. What we would call basic human dignity is actually fruit of the gospel fruit of the gospel. It's a fruit of the story that God was crucified as a victim of violence. And we're not pretending for one second that the, like, the people of God haven't also, also like, borne bad fruit, wicked fruit. I'm not trying to, whether it's the crimes of the Crusades or the blood of the Spanish Inquisition or like sexual abuse that, uh, from the church that's like splattered on news sites all across the world. Like The church has born bad fruit too. But we we should say this, the wicked fruit is what grows when the church strays from its story. Mm-hmm. The wicked fruit is what happens when the church strays from its story. The story of self-giving love displayed by a crucified king, that bears good fruit. It shaped human history. Whenever the church, and whenever the church strays from its story, it takes a renewal of God, like a resurrection, a revolution of the spirit to set the church right again. And that's what's happened over and over in church history. The people of God have like lost sight of the story. They've borne bad fruit, and then the church has gotten renewed. One writer put it this way. He said, Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and arisen again. For it, it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. Yeah. had a God who knew his way out of the... And, and Christianity still continues to be resurrected because our God knows his way out of the grave. And what's true about the macro level is true on the micro level too, for all of our lives as well. The gospel bears fruit in our lives. For thousands of years, people have been hearing the good news of Jesus and finding themselves mysteriously gripped by it, compelled by it, transformed by it. And for those of us who have been following Jesus for any length of time, we keep hearing um, the gospel, we keep believing the gospel, and it's like we start seeing our lives in the same way that Chesterton described history. We start seeing our lives as like a series of deaths and resurrections. We start seeing that God leads us into resurrection life through a series of deaths is what God does. God leads us to die to ourselves so that we can live for other people. He he leads us to die to our greed so that we can experience the freedom of generosity. He, He leads us to die to our need for control so that we can celebrate right now the gift of the present moment. This room is full of people. Like, no joke, it's a room full of people who have seen their lives transformed by the gospel. And ask any one of them, it always feels like death and resurrection is what it always feels like. But the fruit is love. It's love. Relationships mended. Addictions broken. Hearts softened. Lives put back together. Paul might tell us it feels like death and resurrection because it kind of is. It's a shadow of what's coming. And whenever the gospel is proclaimed, the wind of God is blowing through the story told one more time. The Spirit is bearing fruit, growing, embracing more and more people in love. And so I guess this morning we would say, if you are frustrated by what's growing in your life, maybe you should examine the story you believe. If you're frustrated by what's growing in your life, maybe you should examine the story you, you believe. The, the church keeps telling the only story that doesn't end in death. What so we keep telling, the, the church keeps telling the story that grows love, that grows life, and we are invited into it. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we've got one more slide, and I just um, the slide says this: You're invited into the story of Jesus. You're invited into the story of Jesus. And uh, this morning, I just wanted to create just a little bit of space for this as we're getting ready to come to the table. Um, Maybe we could just get, get in a posture of prayer for a moment. In my experience, allowing the Spirit to um, draw me into the story of Jesus, it's a slow, slow process. <laughs> it's, it's slow work for Jesus' story and his, and his living presence to redefine my life. And so maybe we could just um, take a minute and breathe. Breathe in Jesus. You're invited you're invited into the story of Jesus. That's what Paul would tell anybody who happened to be reading his mail. The story of Jesus is the defining story. It's not just for some like pious community out there, it's for the entire universe. Christ holds all is like the defining theme of the book of Colossians. We're gonna see it again and again and again through this letter. His story is true for you too. His love is true for you, for the universe. His healing is true for you, for the universe. His forgiveness is true for you, for the universe. His death is true for you, for the universe. His resurrection is true for you, for the universe. This morning, maybe some of us need to breathe in verse 10. We can live lives worthy of the Lord and pleasing to Him. It's possible to live a life that pleases God that fills him with delight. He's not a grumpy tyrant full of ba and humbug. The Father is good. Jesus is kind. The Spirit is patient with you. Some of us are like doing our best and seeking Jesus and things like suck <laughs> right now. They're, they're super hard and some of us need to breathe in verse 11. Endure everything and have patience, brothers and sisters. God isn't always interested in immediate fixits, and you're not doing everything wrong. You just need patience and great, and great endurance, grace to endure. Some of us this morning may need to. Um, breathe in, verse 12, because we've lost sight of it. Giving thanks with joy to the Father. Your life, your life right now is worth giving thanks for. And all of us need to breathe in. The grace and freedom of verses 13 and 14. God has rescued us from the control of darkness and transformed transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He has set us free through the Son and forgiven our sins. Paul has never met any of the Colossians. He's never met any one of you, and yet he can confidently announce this is true. Very often we live in places of superstition when it comes to God. If I can just do these good things, or if I can just clean up my act, or if I can finally get my life together, or if I pray some sort of prayer at the end of a service, i really, really, really mean it somehow, then somehow I'll be back in God's good graces. Somehow I'll be back on God's good side. My friends, breathe it in once again. The gospel isn't how you get on God's good side. The gospel is how God is already on your side. Some of us need to stop worrying about how much faith we have. None of us have enough faith. The gospel doesn't run on your faith. It doesn't run on your faithfulness. Paul opens his letter by reminding us that he's an apostle of by God's will, not by Paul's will. Keep listening, keep breathing the good news. It's already done. It was done before you believed a thing because God has done it. You are rescued You are transferred, God has set you free. He's forgiven your sins. He's canceled everything you owe. It's done, it's true. Trust this breathtaking news. May you breathe deeply the sacred spores transforming the cosmos and believe the gospel. The story of Jesus is true for you too.